Lord, that it can lead us and guide us through um, what seems like messy topics and subjects like drugs. To me, it feels um, it feels like such a big topic. It feels like such a big thing to consider um, because it's so prevalent in our, in our schools and in our culture. Drugs. Um, is it good? Is it bad? Is it, it's such a gray area in many regards. And yet, God, I believe that you have an approach. You have wisdom for us, for how to consider it. And so, God, would you help us? Would you help me? Would you, um, would you allow me to just hide behind your word? And, um, and God, would we just be able to meet with you and hear from you with whatever we need specifically for this morning? Um, God, give us receptive hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so I want to start by uh, just telling a few stories. So when I was in fifth grade, I came home from school one day, and uh, I, you know, I got off the bus, I went inside, and my dad wasn't there. And I thought, oh, that's weird. Um, and so my mom said, well, dad isn't going to be able to come home today because he's in the hospital. And I was like, whoa, that's weird. And she said, yeah, it was pretty serious. He uh, had alcohol poisoning, and he's not doing well. And that, in my mind, scared me. I was like, wow, I'm going to lose my dad. Like, my dad's going to die, you know? And, <clears throat> you know, I had a friend whose dad died a few years before that, so I'm, like, thinking, well, I guess dad's going to die, and that's so sad and tragic. And <clears throat> after that, my dad didn't drink much alcohol. Praise the Lord. But before that, my dad drank a lot of alcohol. A lot. Enough that he was taken to the emergency room because he was, uh, his, I guess, liver was going to fail. Right? Is that right? Medically? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So that's a big deal. Okay, so I grew up having kind of a natural fear for alcohol. My mom also had, um, this is a different idea, but my mom had a gambling addiction. And so she would lie to our family and sneak off and gamble with her mom um, literally as often as she could. And she would lie to us and she'd go do her thing. And so uh, when she finally met her breaking point there, my dad meets his breaking point. It's around the same time. My parents were totally different by the time I was in middle school. And I noticed it. I noticed, wow, mom and dad are different than how they used to be, right? But for me, what that did was that kind of impressed upon me. Uh, alcohol, addiction, these are bad things. I should avoid them. So then I get to high school, and my brother uh, didn't come to the same conclusions, I guess. And so he's... Uh, just experimenting and he's drinking and he's partying and he's hanging with his friends and um, for me I kind of got drugged into that a little bit I remember the first time that I was given alcohol and I drank it and got drunk I was 15 years old in the car the truck of someone who is now a politician I won't say who it is <laughs> I'm not gonna ruin his career but he did, uh, he invited me into his gigantic purple, it was like a super cool truck, but uh, he, I, I think it was, I was drinking Bud Light, and it was disgusting, but uh, this guy and the friends we were with were doing that, so I was like, okay, this is what I'm doing. And I remember, I, was, I remember that evening, how foolish it was, I remember the silly things I did and the silly things I said, 
And I kind of walked away from that thinking, like, this isn't really, I mean, okay, like, whatever. I'm not, I'm not in love with it. I don't hate it, whatever. But my brother, he, he jumped in. And then what turned, in, uh, what turned from partying to, like, a, a pretty serious life of alcohol and drug abuse, uh, swiftly for him turned into him potentially losing his life, both physically his life. He almost, he nearly died from getting into car wrecks, from the use of drugs and things, to like his family was going to be taken from him. And it was pretty dire. It was pretty serious. And you may have been in middle school around when that was happening. And I probably mentioned it a time or two, but um, God, God really got a hold of him and took him out of that way of thinking and that way of living. Now, let's make it a little more relevant to you. So I have several students. Uh, there's one student named Matthew Hill. He was in my class. He uh, was about to graduate and go to play basketball in college. And he was going to buy some weed from some lady on his, in his neighborhood. So he goes out there. And because... I believe that the, the, the drug culture influenced him so much so that this was a rational idea for him. What he decided to do was he was going to take the drugs and he was not going to pay for them. He was going to steal them. So he began walking away from this girl, this drug dealer, and she shot him in the back of the head. And he died instantly. Just over in Grandview, in the neighborhood. And his grandpa happens to be one of the pastors in the Living Faith Fellowship. He was devastated. The whole family's devastated. The Grandview teachers who knew him and had him in class were devastated because it was so freaking stupid. It was the dumbest thing you could possibly die for. It made me really mad, you know? Like, I don't know if this kid's saved. And he just got shot and killed. Or I had a student recently tell me that... Uh, you know, her brother happened to get tied up into a pretty significant drug scandal. So, um, how do you how you tell the story? So, this kid, whose family siblings I had in my class many times, still have some of his family in my class right now. Um, this young man, he's 22 years old, and he had a quarter million dollars in his apartment, and he had pounds. Uh, fentanyl laced uh, pills and he had about 16 machine guns in his apartment and he was running he was running drug operations he was making good money and his friend my student's older brother was his best friend and so about two weeks ago uh, there was a, a there was a call to inform my student hey you need to come to the house we think that Eli's dead. So they go to the house and they walk in and Eli, my student's older brother, is lying on the couch dead. Blood on his pants. I don't know what happened. Well, what could have happened? Well, the guy whose apartment he was at, this man who's running this drug operation, is also connected with three other teenage fentanyl overdoses. Three teenagers from Ray Peck have died from fentanyl that is tied to this man who now has another death tied to him. 
Okay, what is my point? My point is, I really freaking hate drugs. I hate them. I hate them with all of me. I hate them. I don't care what's legal, what's not. I don't care, and this is just personal preference, I guess. I don't care, you know, what the law says about this or that. I don't care about any of it. Drugs, alcohol, drug culture, alcoholism, that, that whole culture of, dr- of drinking, partying, I hate it. Because I see past the fun frivolity of that moment. Oh, it's so exciting, we're drinking, we're doing drugs, I feel so good. I see through that to the other side when, when it all leads to death and destruction and there are no exceptions to it. There are none. And you will see your peers from your schools jump into that scene and they will die. You will see your peers die this year. Mark my words. As a result of drug and alcohol culture, the party scene happened my senior year. Happened, I mean, there's like, I could, as I'm talking about, I could literally name three right off the top of my head who died. There's numbers and numbers and numbers of these people that we know. You just live a little bit longer. Just live a little bit longer and you'll see how deadly this stupid culture of drug use is. Now, having said that, why are drugs and alcohol even a thing? What the heck? Why, is, why are they there? Well, let's give some biblical context. Proverbs chapter 31, verse 6 says, Give strong drink unto him that is ready to perish, and wine unto those that be of heavy hearts. That man who's about to die, give him some whiskey, the Bible says. First Timothy 5, verse 23, Paul says to Timothy, Drink no longer water, but use a little wine for thy stomach's sake, and thine often infirmities. He says, you got these issues, you need to start drinking wine. So what is the purpose of drugs and alcohol? medicinal purposes right medicine it should be to heal now thank the lord right there's biblical provision for drugs and alcohol to be used medicinally for someone's health for example if uh you know your gallbladder needs to be removed i kind of want them to put a lot of drugs in my body before they start cutting me open and ripping that thing out right me personally now you i mean maybe you get this conviction that drugs are so bad that you just want them to cut you open but I doubt it, right? Drugs have their place, biblically. Or even prescription drugs. You know, sometimes people have to take drugs often to maintain and balance the chemicals and the things in their body. Or even over-the-counter drugs. How about ibuprofen? What's that? What's a drug? Is it bad? Can be. It sure can be. But, I mean, you've probably taken ibuprofen in the last 24 hours. Right? So there is a place. Now, why does it say drinking strong drink and wine in the Bible, but not ibuprofen? Well, Brock could probably tell you about this, but drugs, medicine, has advanced. Right? So now we don't need to give our children whiskey, which is what they did. I mean, back in the day, you know, your, t- your kids' teeth are coming in, and they're a mess. Give them a little shot of whiskey. Rub some whiskey on it. Right? We don't do that. We put ibuprofen in there with a syringe. Why? Well, because they've found safer and better ways to do it. So then, okay, we understand that some drugs are good in certain contexts for certain reasons, but why do people get drunk and do illegal drugs 
today? Or why do people take ibuprofen that should be a good thing and swallow 12 of them? Right? I had a girlfriend in high school. She was, she was broken. And so she told me one day after we, I, you know, I broke up with her and that was devastating. Cause she was the one who said, if you remember last week, she was like, Jeff, I'm ready. Oh. And I said, she, yeah, yeah, we'll just, yeah, uh-huh. So <clears throat> that scared me, so I broke up with her, and guess what she did? She said, I took, I think she said eight. She was like, I took eight ibuprofen. I'm like, bro, what are you doing? You're going to die. You know, like, I don't know what ibuprofen does, but she took eight of them. That's not good. Okay, why do kids swallow tons of pills? I have multiple students in my classes who have said to me in the last week, yeah, I tried to kill myself by swallowing all of these pills, these prescription pills for this issue I have. I was just going to take them all. I'm like, I'm like, what? Why do people do that? How do your peers get to that place where drugs are an option? Well, there's a party lifestyle. It's fun. Fun. When I was 18, I went to Denmark. I'm just going to be really honest, because I don't want you to think this is like... Um, some Christianese version of drugs. Don't do drugs, kids. I want you to know that this is real life. Okay, so I'm 18. I went to Denmark with our foreign, my foreign exchange brother, and I was excited because drinking would be legal. I was saved. I was excited. Drinking would be legal. Why would, how would I get to that place? Because it was fun. So I showed up, and the first thing I'm thinking of, I'm like, Morton. Where's the beer, bro? Let's drink alcohol, because I can't. It's legal. So I drink this terrible-tasting beer. I remember it vividly. It's like, this is not what I was hoping for or expecting, right? So I'm like, okay, maybe this isn't all that it's cracked up to be. So then there's a weekend, and all of his friends are going to celebrate that he's back home, because he was with me in the States for so long. So they're going to throw a party to celebrate Morton. I'm like, all right. Here we go. My first actual party where I'm going to partake. Man. I was the life of the party. You know why? Because I was a complete moron. I was just like, yeah, I'll drink this and I'll drink this and I'll drink this and I'll drink this. And they knew it. They were like, this guy's a moron. We can get him to drink anything. It was just a big doofus and the next morning was awful it was so terrible I puked slept until 3pm or something you guys were like I'll do that all the time it was terrible and you know I think back on that time and it's kind of grievous like dang what the heck did I do that for big mistake but before I was excited it was fun drugs partying it's fun I'm not going to lie to you. But there's, there's another reason why people do it. Because the fun does run out. Okay, There is always the next morning. There is always the after effects of partaking in those things. There is results. There are consequences to partaking in drugs and alcohol. And it is that they take over your life. They take over your mind. They take over your heart. And they even take over your body. And what happens is, you know, you get to the point where you feel like you need them to escape the anxiety that you feel, the depression that you feel. 
you approach drugs and alcohol because you feel like you need to. So here's your first key point. Drugs and alcohol, what they do is they dull, they dull the sharp, cold reality of living life in this world. You know, the, the world is not uh, a really happy place. It's not. I've got dozens of students who have died in the last nine years. Dozens of them. It's not, I'm not, it's like, that's not happy. That's really sad. That's depressing. That's dark. Right? But even beyond that, the world is not peaches and cream. It's not rainbows and unicorns. And you know that. Even in your life. Sometimes things suck. Sometimes they, they hurt. Sometimes, sometimes people make decisions that, that hurt you. Right? And people will naturally turn to drugs or alcohol to dull that sharp pain. A lot of your peers, that's why they do it. They want to fit in, but it's not that they, they're going to get this status card that says, you're cool now because you drink or do drugs. It's not that. They just want to commiserate. You know what that means? It means I don't want to feel the pain I'm feeling. Oh, and you don't want to feel the pain you're feeling? Well, let's not feel that pain, and let's do it together because I understand you and you understand me. Let's get a pass to the bathroom. Let's go commiserate in the bathroom stall. Let's go smoke this or do this. Right? You know that. It doles that sharp, cold reality. But I want to talk more about God's response to those people who are hurting. Because that's what matters. Right? So what is God's response to people who hurt? To the people who maybe you're in this room and you felt something harsh and you felt something bad and maybe you've even turned to drugs to, to dull that pain or maybe you've considered it or maybe you want to or maybe you plan to or maybe you just know someone who does. What is God's response to that person, to us this morning? Well, Psalm 147 verse 3 says, He healeth the broken in heart and bindeth up their wounds. It heals broken hearts. Your drugs, your alcohol world, are a cheap, pathetic substitute for what God can do in your heart. It's cheap and pathetic. It's deceitful. It's disgusting, and I hate it. Because God wants to heal your heart, and He wants to heal that peer of yours in school. He wants to heal their heart. He wants to heal it. Psalm 138, verse 6 says, Though the Lord be high, yet hath He respect unto the lowly, but the proud he knoweth afar off. God, God is high. He's in heaven. He's holy. But he looks at you and when your friends are just broken and they're humble. They're down. He looks at that and he says, that's something I can work with. That's something I want to visit. That's someone I want to use. That's someone I want to love. That's someone I want to heal. Matthew 11, verse 28 to 30, Jesus said, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. Feel like you have a heavy heart, you feel like you have a heavy soul, you're vexed, you're worn out, you're anxious and depressed, you're whatever. He says, Come unto me, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What I hate most probably about drugs, I guess just right now in this moment is that when I know a student is asking to go to the restroom because they want to go vape, or they want to go smoke something else, whatever. I mean, your, te- your teachers, no. Okay, we're not stupid. But what am I going to say? No, and then start a big fight with you in class? 
and yeah, we let you go. And you know what hurts me the most is when I you know, tell a student every once in a while, I'm like, hey, you don't have to go do that. You don't have to do that. Because the reality is they don't have to. They don't have to. They feel like they have to, but they don't. There's another option for them. They could let the Lord come alongside them. They could let the Lord do work in their heart and in their life. And so here's your key point. God's attitude toward hurting people is compassion. God has compassion on each one of us. And your hurts, He wants to hurt with you. Your frustrations, he wants, to, he wants to come alongside and answer them. That thing that happened in your life that you feel like is trauma, that you feel like is causing you to hurt, God knows it and He even wants to answer it and He wants to come alongside you as you work through it. Does that make sense? Now for some of you, maybe you're like, this is not for me, this message is not for me. Yes it is, because this message is for your friend. And you, person who doesn't struggle with drug or alcohol use, maybe you're not tempted by it, maybe you don't care about it, okay, if you wake up and open your eyes, there are thousands and thousands and thousands of students in your schools working through this stuff. God wants to use you because His heart has compassion for them. He cares. He can be bothered by them. I know that the temptation is just to say, oh, that person just doing drugs, just whatever, okay? Just disregard them. I have a kid who literally tells me he is addicted to drugs and he has to go to rehab. And he will tell me, he's not in the school anymore, I don't know what happened to him, but he would come up to me regularly and he'd be like, Grazer, 40 days clean. He would give me updates. It was that serious for him. And he was, he was working through it. And he was often disregarded. And he's just one of those white skater kids. He's just, Whatever. Smart, but didn't really care about school. God cared about him. Think about that kid in your class. God cares about him. And so, what's our part? Second Timothy two twenty four to twenty six says, "And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but here's what we're supposed to be: but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach. That means ready to teach, patient." In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. Your key point is this. We then, God's response is compassion. We then should look at the hurting, lost, and saved. These people who are hurting, who feel like drugs or alcohol might be the answer for me. We should look at them with gentleness, patience, they got struggles you don't have. Be patient. Meekness. Oh, those people, they're addicted to drugs. Oh, me personally? Not me. Never me. Shut up, bro. <laughs> I mean, come on. What would Jesus say to that person? You need to grow up. You need to stop doing that. That's messed up. Me, I'm holier than you. Never. We ought to look at them with patience, with meekness, and instruction. Okay, this is important. Some of you have big hearts. Some of you care a lot about people. Okay? And you want to come alongside them. And you need to know this. Hurting people need to know you care. Hurting people need to know that you care. 
Maybe you don't care. Maybe you have a heart that doesn't care. Pray for one that does. They need to know you care. Hurting people need you to hurt with them. It hurts me that my student, who's like a, she's in many ways like a, one of my kids, and her big brother just died, and her grandma died a couple months ago. And she comes in, she's totally unchurched. She doesn't know how to church. That I church. I love it. She's saying the F word in the sanctuary. I'm like, yes, just be honest. Come on. Don't put this weird filter that you're playing some game. Be real. And she she just starts talking to me through the whole service. I'm like, well, this is, what are we here for? To put on a show or to meet people where they're at? So she starts going. And she's going, and she's telling me this whole story about her brother and how she was the first one to find him dead. And then she was the one who found the cracker box full of baggies filled with pills, pounds of pills. She was the one who found it. And she showed me a picture of it. Why on earth, bro, does a little girl have a picture of that on her phone? That ought to mess you up a little bit. It's evil. Literally evil. That's it. And this little girl, she's like, yeah, look. I don't even know, what, like, what do you even do? What do I say? You tell me, what, what, what do you even say? I don't know. All I know is it hurt. And it made me, my heart heavy. I don't know what to do. But I know she's not saved. And I know drugs and alcohol are a big part of why she continually will feel numb from the conviction, away from the conviction that God is working in her life. She comes to church. Why would you come to church? She wants to come to church. She doesn't even go to my school anymore. Why? Because the Lord is after her, and yet drugs and alcohol, they just keep God at arm's distance. That ought to, that ought to mess you up a little bit, because you've got people in your life that will be that way. But don't miss this. This is the last part of, of this instruction piece. Hurting people need you to instruct them in how to not hurt. You can't just meet them where they're hurting and stay there with them. You need to hurt with them, but you need to tell them how to get out. They're in a big hole. Jonathan Kindler. Maybe you know him, he's, he's the professional counselor, he's, he's like over the counseling ministry here. He said to me that it's like when you're counseling someone, it's like they're in this giant pit. And the counselor's job is to get down in the pit with them. Not to just from the top of the pit say, hey, you're in a pit, get out of the pit. Hey, you shouldn't be in there. It should go more like you walk up to the pit, you're like, you're in a pit. Hey, let me come down here with you. Let me come down on your level. Hey, we're in a pit. This sucks. You went out, don't you? Yeah, I went out. Here's how you climb out. Please climb out. Let's go. I'll lead the way. Come on. Grab this root. Grab this rock. Let's climb out. It's going to get dirty. It's going to get messy. You're going to get dirt on your fingernails. Ministry is messy. But there's nothing else for you. 
That's what the servant of God, the servant of the Lord, should be. So what does it look like? This is the last section. What does it look like to do that? What can you do? You're like, I don't have this person. I don't know where the pit is. I don't know what you're talking about exactly. Here's what we can all apply right here, okay? Whether you're addicted to drugs or you're not, or you know someone who is or you don't, this is, this is the instruction for us. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8 to 12. Know this. You were sometimes darkness, but now are you light in the Lord. Walk. Everybody say walk. Walk, walk as children of light. What are you supposed to walk as? Children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Proving. Everybody say proving. Proving. You're supposed to walk as children of light. Proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. We are to walk showing what God likes. We walk in such a way that we show the world this is what God likes. This is how God wants us to, to behave. This is how God wants us to feel and think and connect with people. This is what it looks like. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Everybody say reprove. So what are the three words? Walk, proving, and reprove. You've got to walk. You've got to go into your school and walk. And you've got to prove who God is. Prove what it looks like to follow Jesus. Show people, in other words, show people what it looks like to follow after Christ. And then, reprove evil works. Hey, you shouldn't do that. What if you, what if you were so brave that you decided to tell your friend who you know is always using whatever. What if you decided to tell them, hey, you, you shouldn't do that because there's another way. There's another way of thinking and feeling. You know what they'd say? What is it? Prove it. Why? And then you say, well, uh, I don't know, never mind. And then you just walk it out and you show them there's a better way. There's a better way. There's a better way to think. There's a better way to live. Here's your key point. Believers walk with purpose in the world to show a better way. Now, the best example I could come up with this uh, of this is uh, I, you know, I, I teach a lot of lost kids. And a lot of them know that I have daughters. And a lot of them are teenage girls who have daddy issues. And they say things like, Gracier, you're going to let your daughters have a boyfriend? And I say, you know, I kind of joke with them. I'm like, no, never. What are we talking about? <laughs> not, not a chance. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. I'm, I, I, eventually, yeah. When they're ready to get serious about marriage. Yeah. And they're like, what? You, you know they're going to have a boyfriend. When they're my age, they're going to be just like me. They're going to have a boyfriend when they're 14. And I'm like, oh. So you're an idiot. Okay, so let's talk about it. So you think that my daughter is going to be promiscuous because you were promiscuous. Interesting. Well, let's analyze the factors here. Why are you promiscuous? And I don't say this, obviously. I'm not this mean. But we talk about my kids. Like, okay, so, so why are you that way? Well, a lot of them never had a dad to say, stop being disrespectful. Stop. 
A lot of them didn't have a, da have a dad to say, hey, you know you're beautiful no matter what? And I love you? No matter what? And a lot of them didn't have a dad to say, hey, what you did was wrong, and here's the consequence for it. And you need to make this right by asking forgiveness. And then when they ask for forgiveness, a lot of them didn't have a dad to say, hey, I forgive you all the way, every time, without delay. They didn't have that. Some of you maybe didn't have that. Let me tell you, there's a better way. There's a better way. You can have that in your Father in Heaven. He will speak those things to you. He will give you that forgiveness. And your friends at school need to know that He will speak to you that way and He will speak to them that way and He will forgive them and He will love them because if they don't ever get it, they're going to continue in life doing life the way that they think is right. And what happens at the end of that way? Death. Misery, depression, anxiety, all these things. This is what that leads to. Our responsibility is to show and communicate there's a better way. It can be good. I know you have deficiencies. You have things missing in your life. But God will fill them. How can you tell somebody that if you don't know that God has filled those deficiencies in your life? So some of you this morning, you've got those daddy issues and you've got those holes in your life and in your heart and you've got those hurts and you need God to deal with them. You need to be humble enough to say, you know what, I am messed up. And there is this glaring thing in my heart and I need to not just acknowledge it, I need to give it to the Lord. I need to cast my care on Him knowing that He cares for me. And then you can then turn around and say, hey, I know how it works. You've got this brokenness, and I know how God fixes it. If you don't show them, who will? And they're going to just keep dying. And they're going to go to hell. Do we care? You know? Do we care? I think we do. I really believe that everyone in this room cares about that. So what do you do? You walk to show a better way. How can you... Live that out in a crooked and perverse world. Well, here's your key point. Believers bear evidence of the solution. Believers, we bear evidence of the solution, which is Jesus Christ as Lord, and, and their lifestyle via the fruit of the Spirit. So I'll explain that in just a moment here. Believers bear evidence of the solution, which is Jesus Christ as Lord, and their lifestyle via the fruit of the Spirit. In other words, the solution to all those hurts and all those problems summed up, or maybe generally, is, is acknowledging and, and submitting to Jesus Christ as your Lord. Okay? When Jesus Christ is your Lord, when you submit, you obey every single thing He tells you to do or be. That produces resolve in your life. That produces... Uh, wholeness. That's where He will heal you. When you just submit to Him. So obedience to God's Word looks good on each one of you. Obedience to God's Word looks good on each one of us. And when we obey, my lifestyle begins to look like the fruit of the Spirit. Okay, I'm obeying God. The fruit of the Spirit's coming out. And people can see it. Does that make sense? 
So how do I do that? How do I obey God? How do I have this fruit of the Spirit? Ephesians chapter, uh, chapter 5, verse 17 to 18. It says, Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Okay, you got to learn what God's will is. What is the will of the Lord? And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but here's what you do. Be filled with the Spirit. Okay? So your key point is bear the fruit of the Spirit by being filled with the Spirit. How do I bear the fruit of the Spirit? Will you be filled with the Spirit? Okay, that still sounds very spiritual and strange. How do I be filled with the Spirit? Ephesians chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. says, Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things in God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's read that together real quick, okay? I think you fell asleep. I know I did. Let's read it. These two verses, ready? Out loud together at the same time. One, two, ready, go. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Being filled with the Spirit looks like filling your heart, filling your life with spiritual things. Now you can cross-reference Colossians 3.16 to get the next uh, key point or the tactic, the first tactic for, for walking in the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit, and it's this. Let the Word of God, ab- the word of God abide in your soul. Let His Word abide, live in your soul. Let His words be the things that you regurgitate out of your heart and out of your mouth when you respond to situations in life. Let His word be the thing that you run to when you've got that hurt, when you've got that struggle. Let His word be the thing that you prioritize on a Sunday morning, that you prioritize on a Tuesday evening. Let His word be the thing you prioritize on that Friday night for Bible study that some of you have never been to. What are you prioritizing? What is more important? Then getting the Word of God into your soul with us. What is more important? And maybe you have something. Maybe you have an answer. That's between you and the Lord. But from my perspective, we all have, we all, including myself, have to have a refreshed vision for how we will prioritize getting God's Word into our soul moving forward we got to because if we don't people won't see the fruit of the spirit in your life and if they don't then you won't bear any fruit you won't have souls being saved in your life and if you don't we are going to answer for that to Jesus and he's going to say oh what did you do Oh, I got a job. I worked at Starbucks. Oh, well, maybe maybe you you know maybe you were evangelizing to your to the customers. No, I just served them lattes. Well, maybe you like wrote a verse on the cup. No, I just wrote their name on it. Oh, so maybe afterwards, like with your coworkers, you start a Bible study. No, I just went home. Sorry, Lord. Love you. Man, 
That's kind of scary to me. What are you doing? What, what, are, what are we doing? Technique number two that we pull from these two verses is that you and I have to let our heart and voice sing praise to God. That is part of being filled with the Spirit. That is part of walking in the Spirit. It's when you can, with your voice, lift Him up and sing about how good He is. And some of you, I, I watch when we're doing praise and worship, and it's so beautiful to see you singing. I don't even hear you. I don't, I, I don't care to hear you. I don't care what you sound like. But just to watch you singing and lifting Jesus up and doing so with almost a reckless abandonment, not worrying about what you sound sound like, not sitting here. I'm talking about those of you who are singing and you put your hands up and you're reaching out and crying out to the Lord because nothing else has your heart like Jesus does. Nothing else has your heart like that. You can sing it out and it doesn't matter what you sound like. There's people in our, our church who literally don't know how to find the note that they're supposed to sing in any given song. And they sing loud. And it's some of my favorite. That's some of my favorite praise and worship. I love it. Because the only thing they care about is lifting the Lord up. You want to walk in the Spirit? You want to overcome addiction? You want to help uh, set your friends free? Sing praise. Take these battle cries that I'm going to read here to your school and see what God does with a heart of praise and thankfulness and worship. I'm going to read through a bunch of Psalms. I can give you the references if you want them after this. But Psalm 7 verse 17 says, I will praise the Lord according to His righteousness and will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. Psalm 9-2, I will be glad and rejoice in thee. I will sing praise to thy name, O thou Most High. Psalm 13, 6. I will sing unto the Lord because he hath dealt bountifully with me. Twenty-one thirteen. Be thou exalted, Lord, in thine own strength. So will we sing and praise thy power. For God is the King of all the earth. Sing ye praises with understanding. My heart is fixed, O God. My heart is fixed. I will sing and give praise. My heart is fixed, O God. Is your heart fixed? On singing praise to God. But I will sing of thy power. Yea, I will sing aloud of thy mercy in the morning. For thou hast been my defense and refuge in the day of my trouble. Unto thee, O my strength, will I sing. For God is my defense and the God of my mercy. Sing forth the honor of his name. Make his praise glorious. Sing unto God. Sing praises to his name. Extol him that rideth upon the heavens by his name. Jah, and rejoice before him. If I was going to get a tattoo, it would be a picture of that. Sing unto God, sing praises to His name. Extol Him that rideth upon the heavens by His name, Jah, and rejoice before Him. We've got to sing our hearts out to the Lord. Ephesians 5.21, last verse, and we're done. It says, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Last tactic. Be connected in Jesus' name, not disconnected in yours. Be connected in Jesus' name. Have relationships in Jesus' name. Have relationships with one another, with the adults in here, that you can trust and confide in them, and they can, they can know you, and they can know everything you got going on, all your dirt, all the good things that are happening in your life. 
They can know your heart and your mind. They know your soul. Your souls are knit together. Be connected in Jesus name and don't be disconnected in your name because you've got these reasons why you can't be connected. You've got these reasons why you can't connect with the person on the other side of the room. You got your reasons why it's just too uncomfortable. It's just too weird. I don't know them. I never talked to them. Be connected because the Bible says we are to submit ourselves one to another. And you, I mean, maybe God put somebody in your life that you wouldn't have chosen and you need to submit to them. I'll tell you this, you're going to leave this class and you're going to have to submit to somebody who hasn't done ministry for more than two years, who's barely gone through discipleship themselves, who will have quirks and weaknesses in their life that annoy you, and you need to buckle up, buttercup, submit. Because what they're doing in Kaya is they are taking territory. And it's intense. And they're saying things like, Hey, I need you to do this, that, and the other. And you're like, I've been at this church longer than you. And they're going to say, I-, I need you to do this. And you know what you need to do? Be lowly. Be humble. Submit. You can practice in here. Let's submit to each other. Okay? Let's be humble. Let's know each other. Let's connect. Let's ask questions. Let's talk. Let's be real. So here's how we'll conclude. I didn't think about this part. How would we end this message? But let's do it this way. If you know that there is some issue on your heart, maybe it's a person, maybe it's an issue, maybe it's an addiction, maybe it's a weakness, maybe it's something you know you need to do, let's just get real. With the person near you, somebody who you trust, Girl with girl, guy with guy. Let's just pray. Let's pray for each other. Sound good? We're going to have to get out of here in like a few minutes. Yeah, so um, maybe you can maybe you can just make eye contact with that person. And you can just go into main service. You can do that then.